Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Gus Rabio teaches on what true worship is and how we can live lives of worship to the Lord. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Uh, let me pray again, and we're going to talk about something that I just love. I think I enjoy talking about, and I'll tell you why in a bit. So, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us. Even now, Lord, I ask that you would continue to draw, draw clear, to, draw near to our hearts. Yeah, and draw clear as well, Lord, yes. Jesus, we need you. We love you. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal the word to our hearts, the truth of the scripture in our hearts, Lord. Let it go down deep. As we build history with you, Lord, help us. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have the privilege and the honor of giving us part three of what we've been talking about for the past two weeks, and that has been what? Thank you, Savannah and, and Al. Anybody else? We go what? I'm not as hype as Billy, so don't expect that. <clears throat> I'm all hype on the inside, but on the outside, it's super chill. And it's like super introvert. Um, but tonight, I'm going to share with you guys about we go together in worship. I'm curious what those mmms were all about. Because I think we all have just um, very automatic responses when we hear the word worship. And I'm hoping that through the scriptures that I'm going to be giving you guys tonight, if you have uh, your phones out or a pen and paper, however you guys do it, um, I hope you take all the notes you can. Because um, the majority of what I have for you guys is scriptures. Um, so in regards to worship, <clears throat> I have now uh, about 20 years facilitating moments of worship from a platform, from a living room, or from a massive stage, um, maybe just as old as some of you in this room. And that's how long I've been in these moments of just leading worship from a piano. Um, and, and I say that also because there are worship leaders and people in the room, and if at any moment I say something that sounds savage in regards to a worship team, it's they might think, oh, if, if I didn't, if I wasn't on the stage, people would probably think like, oh, it's just because he's bitter that he didn't get the gift to play or sing, which, which is not that. So I'm coming for us all, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking, and I just enjoy saying this little simple thing. I'm coming to you guys as an older brother. I'm coming to you guys as somebody who just wants us to come into alignment with what the Lord and the Word says about worship and about coming into agreement with, with one another. Amen? So for the past 20 years, I've, I've led and had those moments of worship, and again, like in small rooms, big rooms, stages, uh, big crowds, me alone in a room, everything. Um, and it's all been amazing. The fact that uh, no, nobody in my house, in my home, in my family line, is a musician or a singer. It's just me. I got, a, I got an older brother who raps, but that's it. Um, if you call that singing or music, I don't know. 
I'm not saying no. He's my brother. I'm not saying no. I told you I'm coming for us all. No, I, I enjoy some rap. Uh, I enjoy real rap from the 90s. That's all I'll say about rap. <laughs> and all the older people said amen. They're like, James was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, and I'm hoping that what we talk about tonight would help us engage more, not just in moments of worship as it relates to having instruments and singers and musicians and so on, but just in your everyday life. Because your whole life is worship, not just this moment. And I don't know, if, I don't know about you, I grew up thinking, uh, the, 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 these are the things that I grew up thinking when going to the church, because I've been, going, I've been in, in the church since I was eight, and actually gave my life to the Lord when I was about 17. And I thought worship was that, what we just did for the past 40, 50 minutes, and that was it. And I have to wait for the next time that we do it to be in worship. And, and then the thing that was ick to me was when somebody would be up there and be like, and now, you know, we end the music, and now, and now we're going to go into a different time of worship with our tithes and offering. And I'd be like, that's not worship. Like, you're just trying to get us, you're just trying to convince me to get my money. Like, but to come to find out, it's all worship. This moment right now is worship if we bring our hearts into alignment with God. If we bring our hearts into alignment with who he is. What you're going to do tomorrow morning is all worship. What I'm trying to say is that everything that you do in life matters. I'm going to say it like this. A friend of the house says it like this, that when he describes or defines the fear of the Lord is everything matters. Everything matters. Everything is worship. And it doesn't matter whether you've been saved for the past 30 minutes or the past 20 years or when you were five. I don't know. Your, your life is worship, and your life should come into agreement with the Lord. And that's what I'm hoping to, to help us with. I'm going to give you some scriptures in regards to just references in the Bible where there was these moments in the scriptures where they would come into agreement with what God has called them to do. And then God broke in in very specific ways. And one of those was Joshua chapter 6. And we briefly sang about it in that first song that Angel led us in when it was, we were talking about the walls of Jericho coming down. There was agreement with what God has ordained for them so that they would have freedom in Jericho. They had to have the priests. They had to have the, 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 the people follow in silence. They had to do the turns that God had told them to do for those seven days. And they had to give a shout only when God said give a shout. And it was in unity. It was together. It was what God had ordained for them all. And God broke through with their freedom. They overtook the city. And then another one is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the, the, the story of Jehoshaphat. And they were being surrounded by three armies. And God had ordained for them as a small army against three to come together 
and set the musicians and the singers in the front, those with, with battle armor right behind them. And all they were to do is to come in agreement and sing the song that the Lord had given them. And when that happened, confusion hit the enemy's camp and they all killed one another and none of them were killed. Because God broke in when they came into agreement with who God is and what he had sent to them. Another one that we see is Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They were locked up in the prison. They were locked up for preaching the gospel and for doing what was considered in those times illegal in some places. And they were put in the deepest part of the cell of the, of the prison. And they began to sing hymns to come into agreement with, in song with who God is. And as they were doing that, God broke in. It's, there was, it, wasn't, it says in all of a sudden, but the all of a sudden was a lifestyle that led to that moment. And not only were Paul and Silas free, everybody in the prison was free. Can you imagine how beautiful it is that when you have maybe, let's just say, we have a handful of new people or people who are struggling with something. But when the rest of the room comes into agreement with God, it's a open, it's an, it, it's an invitation for breakthrough for their life as well. For God to come into their life. Because I don't know about you, we were in worship and Al was right here and all she was saying was Jesus. And she was screaming out of the top of her lungs and just saying his name is powerful enough for the rest of the service. Because we're coming into agreement with the name that is above every other name, that at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. If all we did with one chord in the back was sing Jesus, I bet you that there's going to be a moment where the Lord is going to break in. Because we're coming to agreement with who he is. How better than to come and sing about who he is and about his name? I don't know about you, why I enjoy moments of worship as it relates to music is because those are the moments and the times and the ways, or the expression better said, that I encounter the Lord the most. I don't know about you guys, but that was me. And so I, that's why I enjoy those moments. I enjoy and, yes, <laughs> Matthew, Matthew 26, 30. This is, I just, I added this just because I think it's beautiful to talk about Jesus. It says, it's, this is the, the, the moment of the Last Supper, right before they go to the garden. And they just had the Last Supper. Judas just left the room, right? And then it says, and after they had finished the supper, and then it says this in Matthew 26, 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Have you, ever, have you ever read that? And if you have, I paused and I was like, what would it be like to be in a room with Jesus singing? Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples. I just think that's amazing. Like, you sang a hymn. Like, yet here we are singing a hymn, and he's there in that room singing with them. I just think that's awesome. I just wanted to say that. Revelation uh, chapter 4 and 5, it's the throne room worship. It's the throne room worship as it relates to the Father in chapter 4 and Jesus in chapter 5. 
And in four, we're singing holy, holy, holy. And then in five, we're singing worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. And all that is causing, because they're all in agreement, it's, it's causing a breakthrough, what's going to happen as it, as it relates to the end, the, the end of the age, for the Lord to come to the earth. Isaiah talks about how the peoples of the nation will be in song and in agreement with who he is. And in that type of uh, ex- uh, expression, the Lord is going to come in and, and, and rule and bring judgment over the nations to a singing bride. To a, a bride that is in agreement with who he is. And as I say the word bride, I just want to say this as a parenthesis. Our relationship with Jesus should be maturing year after year. If you think about the facets and the way that the Lord relates to us, they are all true at the same time, and I'll explain what they are, but they also should be increasing in regards to maturity and intimacy with him. Because the, uh, the, the father relates to us as children, right? And then the father, the, the Jesus, it says that, the scripture says that he is an, our older brother. He relates to us as siblings. He's the son of God. And then he relates to us as friends. He says, he says to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. And then after that, he relates to us as a bride. Those are all moments of maturity or maturing in our relationship with the Lord. So what started with in your early stages of being saved and just walking with the Lord is, Lord, help me. Like, I need you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're there. Some of us are there. It's okay. I need you. I love you. Like, please come in to as a bride Lord, how can I serve you? What would bring you most delight right now? Because let's face it, I think some of us, even tonight, came into the service wanting for the Lord to do something in your life. But I want to encourage you that actually these moments of worship are not (laughs) to set a stage or an atmosphere for who's about to share. Worship is not about man or preparing the atmosphere for man. And it's not, even for, it's not even primarily for God to do something in your life. It's first and foremost for, Lord, here I am, what could I offer you? I want to touch your heart. And in doing so, he's so kind, he touches yours. Does that make sense? That's why in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 18, it says that when two or more are gathered, he's there. And then also, I just want to, I just because I like to add clarity, that passage specifically was in the context of restoring relationships that are, are in disagreement. Just so you know, that passage, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. 
So even in hard relationships or hard moments in relationships, the Lord is still wanting for us to come into agreement with who he is. Let me put this flat because it's... So what is worship? Let's talk about that for a bit. The Hebrew word, and I don't, I've never really given myself too much time to study the Hebrew, so forgive me if, if I pronounce it wrong. The Hebrew word for worship in the Old Testament, and I'm hoping that this simple definition, what I'm about to say to you, is going to help us for the rest of the way and the rest of your life as well, is shaha. Don't, don't quote me on that one. But it's, in the way I read it, it's shaha. Okay? And it could be translated as bowing down or falling down. But the best definition is your head below your heart. So it's literally this. It's when you're here and you're right here and your head is below your heart. It is when... Your intellect comes under the subjection of love, of your heart. When you bring your mind to surrender. I don't even know how I said it. (laughs) But if it was good, it was good. (laughs) I I, I think I know how I said it. It's when you bring your mind into subjection with love. It's when you make your intellect, your mind, bow down before God. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, uh, 8, 7 says that our carnal mind is at enmity with God. It wants nothing to do with God. It's hostile. It's fighting against. It's the thing that makes you struggle when you enter this room. And it's the thing that makes you want to judge everything that's happening up there. Or what's happening next to you. Or around you. Or the sounds you hear. Like, why is, why is Al screaming like that? God. No, I loved it. I was being ministered over there. That's, that's, that's worship. It's bringing your intellect, bowing down, bringing your mind, your rationale, everything down to the ground. And in that position is the only time when your brain is below your heart. So that is worship. Worship is not a song primarily, and it's not a moment of musicians and singers. Worship as a whole, is you coming into agreement with God and what he, who he is and what he has said. To me, that's liberating. When I found that out in my heart and I knew that, I didn't have to wait any longer for the next service to experience that. I can have it on my own right now, in my heart, in the car, with my family, everywhere. Because it was not about how loud and how good they played or how was the sound. It was not about all that. It was not, it was about, it was not about that at all. Be- and I say that to you as a worship leader and a singer and musician. 
is that we want to make it about that sometimes. It's like, oh, the sound sucks. The, music, the, the instruments are horrible. This is bad. And today, this and that. And we missed it. God ends up last. Again. Because we were distracted with everything else. We made it about ourselves. Rather than coming into this room and together we're going to sing to him. That's why someone like Billy, with no worship leading experience, can sing a simple chorus. We all start singing it. And the Lord breaks in, not because of his amazing voice. But because what he said was the truth about who he is, we all came into agreement together, and the Lord broke in. I saw a clip of what happened at Passion, and some of you guys were there, and there was just a moment when they were singing Holy, Holy. It had nothing to do with how many people were in the stadium. It had nothing to do with who was on the stage, because I didn't even know. I saw it. I was like, I don't know who that is. It had to do with the simple fact that they were coming into agreement with who he is, and that's holy. And everybody in the room came into agreement with that. And that's why they had that experience. That's why they had that moment. And again, I say this, that thing that I said as a liberating thing. You don't have to be in a stadium to have that. Because then you're just going to live for stadium moments. Sorry, I got to pause. <laughs> I got to pause. You guys remind me of that reel on Instagram. For those of you who are still on Instagram. Um, and it was like, mm. and, and it's like, it's, how, it's mainly how girls come into agreement. Mm. 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 Anyways, you guys distract me. Jesus, help us. So to come into agreement with who he is and what he's doing. That's why it doesn't matter who it is. Somebody says, hey, let's just sing glory as Angel was singing tonight. And when we sing it, the Lord steps in. Because we're all coming into agreement together. And to the person who is in this room wrestling, coming into agreement, the Lord breaks in for them. So I have just four points for you guys, and then we'll be out of here. I know some of you in your head said, yes. I heard you. It was like super loud. Who was that? First point that I have is this, is that worship does not revolve around you or even us for that matter. And in a different way, worship, it's all about Jesus. Because we want to come in to this room and that's how much you love yourself. You just make it about you. We make it about ourselves. Oh, they're playing that song. Like, oh, that guy's here, that girl's here. And we just missed the moment with coming into agreement with God in his presence, wanting to break in in this room. 
And like, oh, I just don't like that style. I don't like when they lead or this and that. It's not about a song, first of all. It's not about what you like and don't like. Thank God. But it's about who he is and what he wants to do. It doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't revolve around us. It's about him. It's God inviting us to what he's already doing. For example, Psalm 22, verse 3. If you didn't know, that's where the passage is, that he enthrones himself upon what? The praises of his people. It's interesting how he says that the praises of his people and not the prayers of his people. It's when we come into agreement with who he is and we do it with song, it helps. It's biblical, it's godly. He enthrones himself on that. That's why we're in these moments when we're singing and we're singing to him. He steps in. He comes in. Colossians 1.15, I'm just giving you passages to, to hone in on the fact that it's all about him. Colossians 1.15 through 17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Thank God that all things are for him. That when we step into this room and we do the teaching, we do the offering, we do the singing, that it's all for him, it is good news for us. I want to say this, worship is not about us lifting up our voices or giving up our lives to an insecure Demanding God. It's about us coming into agreement again. And when we do that together, especially when we do that together, it's actually beneficial for us as a spiritual family, as, as in our homes. It's actually good for us to do so when we put God in the place that he belongs in its first place. It's good for us to do so. Matthew 15, verse 9 and 8. It says, uh, sorry, verse 8 and 9. I said 9 and 8. I'm going backwards here. It says that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, it, and then in some versions it says their worship was a farce, meaning it was a play. They were just putting on a show. That's what happens when we step into this room and we make it about us. Our worship is a play. It's just a, a farce. It's, I'm just putting on an act here. Again, I, I just want to help us with this as well. How do we come into agreement with God? Simply, simply put, by his word. And when we come into his word daily, and here's a challenge for 2024, don't let a day go by without you spending even five minutes in the word. I know that sounds ridiculous because I say five minutes, and you're like, oh, that's easy. 
But I bet I'd probably get all of our hands up if I said, how many of you missed a day so far already this year? So five minutes is not ridiculous. <laughs> five minutes is five minutes. Anyways. It's about Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing. Is that at, at, at the transition of this age, from this one to the next, it's the revelation of a man. And the, 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 the faster or the more we set up our lives to know him, we're going to come into agreement with him, with who he is. Simple question before you even say yes in your mind. You don't have to answer out loud. Do you know him? Do you know him? He wants to meet every single one of us. Or do you just know about him? Does your theology come from songs? Or does it come from the scripture? In other words, are you better at quoting songs to me about who he is? or the scriptures that you've invested time into. And I say that not necessarily as a slap in the face, but as a, it's time to grow up. Milk is okay for a moment, but let's go for the meat. Some years ago, we were somewhere doing something, I won't say what or who, but we invited a bunch of young people to come up and pray at the mic. I wish I could quote you songs. I just don't listen to many teams or things. It's just John Thurlow for me. But if you if you knew John Thurlow, you knew what I, you knew why you'd know why. Um, but <laughs> it was just interesting to me that. At least seven out of ten were quoting songs at the prayer mic when we were praying for the nations. I think somebody at one point said this. I can't remember the line, but it was like something about oceans. And it was like, no, no, like, yeah, yeah, something like that. You walk upon the waters, like. But it was like quoting the song. It's like, oh, I think somebody at one point said, and I, don't get me wrong, I get it. I was like, you're probably like brand new to all this. Like, anyways, I'll just move on. <laughs> what did they say? I'm trying to remember the song. I'm telling you, I don't. <laughs> what was it? I, uh, so, somebody went up and they're like, send us to the nations, God. You make me brave, God. <laughs> I, 
I always say that if the shoe fits, just take it off. All right? Just don't even leave it on anymore. Just take it off. Don't even try to resize it. Just move on. Just. All right, next point. <laughs> Worship is not defined by musical expression only. Worship is your life. So, uh, plug for Joshua. We box him in. We box him in when we make it only about one thing or one moment. In case you didn't know, his Instagram handle is on Unboxed Son. Because he breaks the boxes with God. <laughs> so look for it. Look, look, look him up. Look him up. But we, we do. We box him in when we make it just about one moment, one thing. We make it just about the musical expression. It's one, it's one moment, and it's great, and it's biblical, and it's good. But it's not all that it's all about. I'll read you this. John chapter 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, this is Jesus at the well with a Samaritan woman. Woman, he says, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That had nothing to do with music. Jesus is giving a teaching, basically, at the well, midday, to this woman that he should not be speaking to according to society. And he's giving her a firsthand teaching out of his own mouth with his own lips about what worship is. That's incredible. If you've never read the story, I, I, I want to touch on it. But again, our, 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 the point is this, that worship is not about a musical expression. And I'm going to tell you what it's about. Just off, off that chapter... The Samaritan woman is this, it's that Jesus was going from Judea back to Galilee, and he has to go through Samaria. And if I'm not mistaken, the city that it, specifically the part in Samaria was called Sikra, and this is where the well was. The, the, and the well was known for Jacob offering it over to his son Joseph as an inheritance and just a, a, a memorial for what the Lord has done in their lives. But Jesus had to go through there, and it says... Because he's so human, from being weary from his travels, he sat by the well. He waited. Guys, uh, so let, before I go, though, he waited. And what happened was that this woman comes to the well, nameless and faceless. We just call her the woman at the well. Nameless and faceless. And she is coming to draw water for herself. And Jesus asked her, would you draw some water out for me? And she begins a conversation with him. Well, you have nothing to draw water with. He said, how are you going to do that? And then he, tell, he tells her, well, if you knew the water that I had, you would never thirst again. Everybody that drinks from this water thirsts again. But the water that I have that's ever, everlasting is eternal. No one drink, no one thirsts again. And she's like, she asked rightly, how can I get some of this water? <laughs> how can I get some? And he says to her, 
this whole conversation has nothing to do with water. It has to do with worship. And then he says to her, and I say that because of the next point, where, where Jesus takes the conversation. It's like, what? What does that have to do with? Bring me your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five. And you couldn't keep them. I'm adding that part. And the one you have now is not your husband. The one you have now is not your husband. And then she says correctly, I presume you're a prophet. And he says, yeah. And then it takes another turn. We went from water to five husbands and a lover to now she says to him, your people say that we are to worship in Jerusalem. And my people say that we worship here at the well that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And that's when Jesus says this. And the conversation turned about, it turned into worship about what God was after. Here's, here's the picture as it relates to us individually and as gatekeepers. Your five husbands are the things that you have in your life thinking that, you're gonna, that they're going to satisfy you. And you're still thirsty. And you continually come back thinking that you're, it's going to satisfy you. So you're on your five husbands. You're on to your sixth one thinking that that's going to satisfy you. And that's how we come, sometimes come into these, these rooms. God satisfy me. But when, the, when God is actually after you satisfying him, did you not know that he could actually serve himself that cup of water? The moment of worship that she found herself in had nothing to do with water. He could satisfy himself, right? Would we agree? Jesus could have drank and satisfied himself. He was inviting, in, he was inviting her into, would you, would you satisfy me? That's, that's why the whole conversation ended in, in worship, because that's what that conversation was about. You come thinking that you want to be satisfied. I am telling you that this moment is actually about how you can satisfy me. And it's in that place that you find eternal life. You find the water everlasting. You will never thirst again. You will never run back to those dry cisterns. You will never go back to dry wells to pornography. You will never go back to drugs. You will never go back to, to things, sex out of marriage, whatever it might be, your well, sports, food, whatever, I don't know. You go back to those things in comfort and says, why not stop trying to satisfy yourself? Come satisfy me and you'll see what you get. He's inviting her into something greater. Worship is love finding love. It's you finding God. God finding you. And you're, you're at that moment at the well. And here's the thing. The, 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 the whole point about the well is that she came at noon when it was the hottest of the day 
And that's because she was despised by everybody else. You probably step into these rooms in these moments of worship and disqualified yourself already before you even entered. She came because she could not come at the time that the other women came. Because of her five husbands, her story, her life. The shame that you going after dry wells brings upon you does what? It actually makes you draw away from the people. She was alone. And here's the beauty about Jesus. There's, he will overcome any of your objections. She was a woman. He was a man. He was Jewish. She was Samaritan. They should not be talking. He should not be asking her anything. She had five husbands. She had all this shame. She had every reason why he should not be drawing near to him. And in a moment, he overcomes every objection and he calls her to him. That's why I say that when we come into agreement, even if there's one broken person in the room, God will break in for them because he's going to overcome their objection. He's not going to tolerate sin, but because he loves you, he will overcome any objection you have as to please don't draw near to me. Because many of us would rather just have God yell at me because I've been doing wrong. But he's like, no, I'm actually going to come at you strongly with my love and overcome all of your objections because that's how good I am. So you come thirsty, and God is thirsty too, and worship is, how can I satisfy you? God, I'm here. How can I satisfy you? Does that make sense why worship is about every moment of your life? When you wake up, and the first thing you do matters. The first thing you do when you wake up says a lot about where you are and what actually matters to you most. So whether it be do, think, watch, or whatever it might be. Those are the things that matter to us most. And when you are alone and you are by yourself, this is why we're talking, this is, a, this is for me a reason why we're talking about together, is that when you are alone and you are free to do and think what you want, that is who you really are. What I love about God is in Galatians says that God cannot be mocked. You could fool us all day. God cannot be mocked. And I say that again, not to step on your toes or give you a slap in the face, but come into alignment with him tonight. Come into agreement again. Sign up. I sign up again, Lord. Here I am. I sign up again. So it's time. It's, sorry, it's more about us coming into agreement with him and in intimacy with him. You know what's beautiful about that? That out of that place, just to finish the story of the Samaritan woman, when he starts telling her about all this and he tells her that, that moment of worship, she runs into the town. She runs into the town and she starts telling <laughs> Interesting way of evangelism, by the way. If you've ever read the story, 
Come and meet a guy who told me everything I've ever done. He knows my sins. He knows my secret life. And he exposed it out loud. (laughs) Come. We have a word in Spanish. It's called metiches, which just means nosy. It just sounds a lot better in Spanish because it sounds savage. So whether they were metiches or not, they probably went out to find out What's, her, what's really her story? She hasn't been telling us the truth. Whether it was that or the fact that they actually wanted to meet this man, it says that the town got saved. The shame broke off of her, no longer thirsty, but finding herself satisfied. And from that place, <laughs> meet the man who knows everything about me. And yet he loves me. The man, oh, this, this phrase for me, the man who knows you most loves you most. Why, why, that, why that's so impactful to me is because if my wife would have known who I really was, and even in the depths of my heart who I really am, and even the things that I don't even know about myself that are still coming out sometimes, I think she'd run. And I think she would think the same, that I'd probably run. But to the man that knows me most, loves me most, and yet he calls me to him. Do you realize that what we did is a miracle? Sing to him is a miracle? I don't know if you realize it. It's a gift. It's not a, well, here we go again. It's like, oh, I get to do this. We get to do this together. He paid a hefty price for us to do what we just did. He paid a big price for us to do what we just did. Think about that. We sing... What do the angels sing, right? The maids did all cry. Peter tells us that the angels are actually looking into what is it about them? They're looking at us and it's like, what is it about them? Hebrews says that he did not die for the angels when they fell. You fall over and over and over, and it was worth it to him to die. We're singing, what do you see? And they're like, what do you know? They will never be able to sing a song of a redeemed heart. They're looking into what we know. Why them? Not with jealousy and those that did fail. Why them? What is it about them that you want their affection? Guys, let's be honest. The worship, I would say, is a little bit better in heaven. The sound is angelic, pun intended. You don't even need speakers. There's no complaining about what that moment's like. 
And no one's complaining about why this song again. <laughs> holy, holy, holy. They were singing it in Isaiah 6. They were singing it in Revelation 1. At John's Revelation. Revelation 4. And they're singing it now. And yet, those beings are looking into, what is it about them? That you desire their affection. He desires our affection. Amen. God is good. Point number three. Worship. This is so good. Worship doesn't start and stop. It's, it's, it just goes on. It's happening right now in your hearts as you're coming into agreement with the, the word of his, the truth of his word. Worship does not stop. Let me give you a thought on this. Is that every moment is worship and every moment matters. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So before I read this, it's this. We do, I'm, I'm quoting somebody here. We do 24-7. And if we had the opportunity, he'd be worthy of 25-8. Of and even then, we do 24-7 as a body. No one's in there 24-7. The angels are. They're there 24-7. And so the thought is, if you're worthy of that, then how can I live my life in a way that does that? That is unceasing. That never ends. And it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That means your life, every moment, is your worship unto him. And that while you are alive, and even asleep, and breathing, it is your unceasing act of worship before God. What does that mean then? That means that your life at every moment, should come into agreement with him and his word. I'm going to phrase it in a different way. Does your life make sense when you put it up against the word? And if it doesn't, then bring it. Bring it into alignment with the word. And if you haven't noticed, I, I almost always make it about the word and about knowing Jesus. Because that's what matters most. Because here, here's, here's what happens. We're, we're living in a day and age where we market and profit off of worship. Or you might want to label yourself. And I don't want to say labels because I, I really don't want to be the one to feel like, make you feel like I'm stepping on your toes. But what you are, first and foremost, you're not a singer. You're not a dancer. You're not an intercessor. You're not a missionary. You are a lover. Everyone qualifies. No one in this room is disqualified. 
To me, that's good news. Luke 9, 23, again, worship doesn't end and stop. It's just, it's basically when Jesus is inviting them, if you want to follow me, carry your cross daily, deny yourself, carry your cross daily and follow me. So it doesn't stop and it doesn't start. It's not 45 minutes. It's your life. I want to encourage you to check your heart and bring it into alignment. If you find yourself just living for moments that we had at the beginning of service. The the moments of service or us being here together should be a moment of coming together, coming into agreement, and coming into celebration about who he is in the midst of us. And that that just makes it beautiful. Almost done here. Point number four, worship is still about God's presence. And it always will be. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came... Um, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house that they were sitting. And it, and so it talks about the Holy Spirit coming in in Acts 4, uh, 31. It says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word in boldness. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. Chapter 2, it's literally just a front and back. It's the most convicting chapter for me. The, the, and why I'm bringing it up is just there's two lines that stand out to me always is that the praying man will stop sinning and the sinning man will stop praying. And then he says this. We, he says, I'm, I'm quoting him. He, uh, it says, he says, we pay. And the, and the place is taken. They pray and the place was shaken. And the thing, and, and, and if you're anything like me, for those of you who have at least been over six months or a year walking with the Lord, you've probably already asked yourself, it doesn't look like Acts. Why doesn't it look like Acts? I'm not seeing what I see in the book of Acts. Or it's not what I'm reading. I'm not saying that you're wrong. And we have those thoughts. It's like, it's not what I'm reading. How come it doesn't make sense? Oh, I don't believe the, in the institution, the institution of church. Whatever have you, I don't know. The, the, the convicting thought that the Lord gave me once was that, and this, this is where we all draw back, and you're like, all right. I think if we're honest, I think we say we actually, I think we're actually like, then maybe not right now. The Lord, I felt the Lord was saying to me that if you want an apostolic experience like in the book of Acts, then you need to have an, op, an apostolic lifestyle like the disciples. And I don't have that. And I'm confronted with the fact that, well, do, then do I really want it? I don't know. Or am I just finding reasons to attack your people, to hate your church? 
and as it relates to the church, because I was like some of you in this room, I hate the church. I'm serious. I really did. And the Lord confronted me once, and it was it. It was a done deal. I was like, all right, you're right. I'm done. I'm dumb, and I'm done. Would you agree with who I say she is? Would you agree with the lamb with who he says his bride is? Because here's the thing. I, I hopefully, Anyways, here's the thing. My wife, on this side of, the, of, of eternity, she's still a sinner. You can come up here, sit, stand next to me, and tell me all the things that are bad about my wife. Some could be lies and exaggerated. Some could be heavy truths. And guess what I will never do? Come into agreement. As her husband, I will never come into agreement. I will do what I can to wash her with the water of the word, to restore her, to heal her, to love her. Guess what? When you talk about the church, the Lord steps back. Sorry, bro. I'm not agreeing with you. You're going to find a stiff hand when you come at his bride. You're not going to find a bridegroom coming into agreement. The phrase that the Lord gave me was that she's not what she's meant to be, but she's also not what she's going to be. He gave me hope for the church, not people, not leaders, as great as intentions and their hearts are, is him. So that was probably for some of you in this room. Last one is this. Worship never ends. Missions will end at some point, but worship will never end. And I want to give you this last story, and then we'll pray. If you've never heard it, it's, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's about Mary of Bethany. And in Luke chapter 9, well, I'll say this. Yeah, Luke chapter 9, you have several things happening. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus is confronting his people about following him with a carry your cross and follow me type thing. And then comes the Mount of Transfiguration where he takes up Peter, James, and John with him into this mount in Israel, and then he has this moment where he, the cloud fills the, the top of the mountain, and his glory is seen by his disciples. And his disciples, well, Peter is like, let's build a tent. Like, this is it. Like, this is the moment. His glory is here. We're going to do this. And then all of a sudden, from the midst of all the cloud and the glory, the Father speaks in a loud, audible voice, and he says, this is my son. Listen to him. The Lord, the Father has spoken over the Son once before that when he got baptized. And what does he say? This is my Son with who I'm well pleased. 
That was the father speaking to the son. And people were there to hear it. Luke chapter 9, he speaks and he's giving instructions this time. This is my son. Listen to him. There was a third time that the father spoke. It's in John chapter 12. And, it's, and it says that it, it doesn't say what he said. All it says that the people said it sounded like rumblings. And so three times the, the father speaks audibly. And the second one, he's giving instructions. And he's saying to us, he's saying to the disciples, this is my son. Listen to him. Now, imagine having that moment with the Lord, and if that were to happen to us, like, I don't know what would happen to us or what we'd do with it, but they go on. And what happens next, Jesus delivers a little boy. Heals the little boy, and then all of a sudden, the disciples are just like us. All they're thinking about, it says that they're arguing about what position they're going to have in the kingdom. Like, bro, I'm going to be next to him. I'm, no, I'm going to be his right hand. I'm a better wingman than you are. They're arguing about what position they're going to have. And then he stops them, and it says that he says to them, let my words sink in. The Son of Man is going to be taken up. He's talking about the cross, taken up. The Son of Man is going to die. He's going to be taken up. And they're like, uh-huh. I'm still going to be first. He's, he's telling them, let my word sink in. And then fast forward to the next chapter at the end of chapter 10, we find Jesus enters Bethany, a little town named Bethany. And he enters, it says, the house of Martha. And Martha has a sister named Mary, hence Mary of Bethany. And they have a brother named Lazarus. And then it says that Jesus was sitting. There, he's in the house. It doesn't say that anybody else is in the room. It's just the three of them as, at this point. He's sitting. Martha is somewhere in the kitchen preparing for this little gathering. Maybe the disciples were coming. Or maybe they were there. It doesn't say. But she's getting ready. She's distracted. She's busy. She's doing things. She thinks she's doing the right thing. And Mary is at his feet. And all it says that she's doing is that she's listening to him speak. And Martha comes out like bothered at her sister. Well, aren't you going to tell her something? To help me to get up and do something? And the Lord says, Martha, Martha, parentheses, the Lord does not have a speech impediment. He's not like Martha, Martha. Years ago, this is a parentheses, years ago, when I did like, okay, why does he always say like this? Truly, truly, Martha, Martha. It's not a stutter. It's not a speech impediment. What I, come, what I came to find out is that Exclamation marks did not exist in the old scriptures when they, were, when they wrote. So they wrote it out in two words. So it wasn't Martha, Martha, or it wasn't even Martha, Martha. 
how, I don't know how you hear it in your head. It was actually Martha. Or maybe even louder, Martha. Mary has chosen the good part. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Why are you so distracted and disturbed in your heart? What the Father said to the disciples, listen to him. What Jesus reiterated to them, let my words sink in. In other words, listen to me. This random young lady from the middle of nowhere, Bethany, is doing what the Father said, what Jesus reiterated, what David in Psalm 27, 4 longed to do. She's at his, she's at his feet listening to him speak. She's in silence. And the Lord defends her position. Fast forward John chapter 11, we find that Jesus, now these people became his friends. Because Lazarus is dead. The brother of Martha and Mary is dead. And they sent for Jesus. And he waited. He waited four days. And he finally shows up. And he's dead. And then Martha comes to him. Like, if you would have come sooner, he would, have, he would not have been dead. And he has a confrontation with her. Now, here's the interesting thing. They, if you read it in John chapter 11, the conversation that Martha and Mary have is the same. The posture in which they said it is different. Martha seems to have this intellectual conversation with him about what he could have done. And Mary is with him saying the same thing with tears. And she's just crying. And now, from that place of friendship and intimacy, she says the same thing. If you would have been here, this would not have happened. And then he says, well, show me where the body is at. And he speaks. Lazarus, wake up or come out. And some historians have said that he had to say the name Lazarus because if he would have just said come out and, and wake up, everybody around that was dead would have woken up. Lazarus, come out. And he was resurrected. Her tears in that place, from that place of intimacy, birth a resurrection in Jesus. And then we end with this. Towards the end of the Gospels, a week before Jesus goes to the cross, what happens is this. They're all in... Here's the, here's the amazing part. Uh, they're all in some guy named uh, Simeon's house. And think about who's in the room. You got the disciples who have seen all these miracles. You got a dead man that was just raised. You got his, you got his two sisters. You got, you got a bunch of people in there. And Mary shows up and she breaks this alabaster of expensive oil upon him. And here's the thing. The alabaster was known, the expensive oil, the fragrance, was known to be two things. Or one, uh, one thing and divided into th two things. It was basically her dowry. It was what she was going to offer to her husband. So some have said that she was even offering up the opportunity for her to be married because he was that worthy. 
She, was, she gave up her dowry. She gave up any promise of children and marriage because he was worthy. Because she saw something at his feet that nothing else, that three years, almost three years with the disciples, they couldn't see it because they were bothered. They were bothered that she was breaking this alabaster. Judas was bothered. Peter was bothered. And it says of Peter that he's like, we could have sold that and then fed all the poor. But Jesus accepts it. And I've said this to you before, that superficial revelation of Jesus is never going to birth an extravagant devotion of, uh, of your life ever to him. A superficial revelation of who he is will never give birth to an extravagant, devoted life. You can sing angelic as you want. You can dance as angelic as you want. You can be the best at what you do, and it's still not going to birth extravagant worship out of you. Only the revelation of who he is will do that. And she had that. She broke it upon him, and now the place is filled with fragrance, this, this expensive fragrance before him. And he is covered in it. She is covered in it. And guess what happens next? This is incredible. What that was known for is that she was preparing him for his burial. And this is what she, this is what he, he confronts the people in the room with. And guess what happens? A few days later, Jesus is riding on a donkey, and palm leaves are going, and they're singing Hosanna, and the fragrance that's in the air. Is Mary's worship. Jesus is in the upper room having the Last Supper with his disciples, and the fragrance that's filling that room is Mary's worship. Jesus is in the garden, and he's praying, and he's feeling the weight of what the father is calling him so intensely that he's bleeding and his pores are open and the fragrance that's filling the garden is Mary's worship. Jesus is on the cross and he's naked on the cross and he's exposed and as he's being hung and as he's being nailed, the fragrance that fills the air on that hill is Mary's worship. Jesus is looking for lovers, and he's looking for lovers in us. Three days later, he woke up, he resurrected, and all they found was a sheet and two angels in the tomb, and that sheet in that tomb was filled with Mary's worship, and Jesus accepts the worship. Jesus accepts the fragrance. Jesus accepts the offering. And it's so amazing. He just says to her, what you've done. He says to her in front of all of them, what she has done, it's going to be preached everywhere the gospel is shared. And Mark says it clearly. Why? It's, he says that because she gave what she could. And I say to you, to me, we all give what we know we have to, but have you given what you could? And that's why I say to you, 
this is not necessarily an invitation for you to sign up for anything, but for you to actually, if any of you, even in this room, are feeling like, I want to give more worship to God. The Lord has helped us, helped us set up a, a, a place here that it never ends. And we do that continually as a body. You could do that in your home as well, for sure. But how beautiful and pleasing it is to God when we do it together. Can you imagine what that room would have been like if they all would have just broken and not a bastard? The fragrance of their praise, the fragrance of their worship broken on his feet, just filling that room. If you would, just close your eyes. Just so we're not distracted. Jesus, we love you. Lord, help us together like Mary. Know how to sit in silence and just listen to you speak and wait long enough for you to speak. Help us not be in a hurry, Lord. Help us enter into worship together that our life would make sense to the gospel. That our songs would make sense to the gospel. The things that we watch, the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we touch would make sense to the gospel. That we would continually offer up our lives as a living sacrifice as worship unto you, as, uh, as us saying, Lord, here I am, I agree with you. And even when our life and our hearts are at odds, that we would be like the psalmist, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I agree with who he is. I will not forget who he is and what he's done. We thank you, God, that worship is about your son. And in that place, we find breakthrough. We find your presence. We find your goodness, your mercy, your healing power, your delivering power. We find you. We find you, Lord, in that place, together in worship, God. Help us, God. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.